Did some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch it live streaming video from anywhere in the world. That website, you can also watch all the uh, archive shows, over 210 of them, I think. And um, you can also uh, email us from there. I was a born-again Mormon. The manuscript is available through PDF download. It's free. You just go to that same website. Uh, no, you go to bornagainmormon.com, and you can download the, the uh, book in a PDF form, have it in your hands in minutes. How about joining a weekly verse-by-verse Bible study, never denominational? We meet every Sunday at Utah State in Logan and <clears throat> University of Utah in Salt Lake City. Go to calvarycampus.com for more information, like times and direction. Here's an exciting announcement beginning April 4th. KUTR Radio 820, The Truth, uh, is going to start airing replays of Heart of the Matter every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 2 p.m. The Truth is an awesome Christian radio station uh, with great programming, so start tuning in to AM820, especially on Sundays from 1 to 2 p.m. for replays of that week's Heart of the Matter. Hey, we have an opportunity to take Heart of the Matter national. If you're a fan of the program and are uh, currently supporting us, this message is not for you. Uh, again, no pressure, but if you do want to help us, try to take this program nationally. The cost really isn't too bad, but there's a couple qualifications. First, uh, you have to be led of the Lord to do that. There is no pressure, no arm twisting, no pleas. Just if you take it to the Lord, if he says help him, then help us. But the second thing is that you support your own church first. And uh, that way it's kind of done in the right order. Give it some thought and prayer. It's a wonderful opportunity to expose the truths of Mormonism more deeply in the United States. Uh, My good friend Dave asked me a question the other day, and I thought he made a great point. Just exactly what is anti-Mormon? I mean, really, what is anti-Mormonism? Or what is anti-Mormon? All over the internet and in day-in, day-out conversations, I have been labeled an anti-Mormon. I mean, you can look on any of the, the... the searches, and it says, Sean McCraney, anti-Mormon, anti-Mormon. That, that label has been stuck to me. Uh, the, the title was given to me a long time ago, right when we first started airing the show. 
The irony is that we really do try and present, kidding and joking aside, we do try and present Mormonism. Uh, and we work very hard to present Mormon doctrine as it really is. If someone calls and says, Mormons don't believe in Jesus, I am very quick to, to correct you and say, yes, they do. Or um, it's vitally important for our ministry to paint Mormonism exactly how it is. Um, and the point is, we're not presenting anti-Mormon doctrine. We're presenting Mormonism. I, I, I present Mormonism week in and week out. And they don't want to hear it come from me. The reason is, is because they have a sales pitch, you see, and there is a certain order to which they want to reveal their doctrines, history, and practices. And if you expose the facts about their history and doctrine outside of their order or sales presentation without all the lilting tones or the accepted wordsmithing, you're considered an anti-Mormon. For example, if I say that a bag of Fritos has 3,200 calories in it and 300 grams of fat, um, does that make me an anti-Fritoite? Am I anti-Frito because I state that Fritos have 3,200 calories in a bag and 300 grams of fat? Am I truly anti-Frito? Maybe Frito-Lay wants to call me an anti-Frito guy because they want to produce their product with glossy terms and out on a picnic and kids running into the, with each other and dads pushing them on the swings with a Frito every now and then. But bottom line, I'm just providing facts. You see the parallel? We provide, we share Mormonism, not anti-Mormonism. All right, three weeks ago we talked about, I, when we were talking about the Bible, I said we could take a random thought about the Bible and I could prove it through scripture. We had a studio audience member, Dave, come up and unrehearsed, he gave the false premise uh, out of his head. He said, Jesus was married. Prove it in the Bible, Sean. So here goes my attempt. Ready? Few people, this is my pitch. This is not true, by the way. So I hope they don't take this segment and use it as truth. Few people understand the importance and order of consistency in the Bible. What happens when is paramount to God and his awesome good news. Paul called Adam the first man and he called Jesus Christ the last Adam. Okay, Adam, the first man, Jesus Christ, the last Adam. Those are words Paul used. The first Adam was accompanied by a woman taken from his side, Eve, who introduced sin and death into this world by virtue of their rebellion. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, who through obedience overcame sin and death and he introduced salvation. In the first Adam's case, sin and death were introduced to the world by a couple, Adam and Eve. There is inconsistency here if the last Adam didn't overcome sin and death and certainly face it with a spouse. Uh, there is significant symbolism and meaning in the fact that of, out of all the people who could come to meet Jesus, who were part of his ministry from his apostles to all those who followed him, people he had healed, the first person was who? His own Eve, Mary Magdalene. I mean, it was Mary Magdalene who, who ran and even told Peter that the Lord had risen. Why? 
It was Mary Magdalene who reached out to touch him, but Jesus said, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to my father yet. What was Mary Magdalene, the only woman there at the gravesite doing there, go, go, wanting to go and hug Jesus? It was because Mary Magdalene was Jesus's wife. I mean, in order to be called a rabbi, which Jesus was in two places in the New Testament, didn't Jesus need to be married by rabbinic law? Yes, he did. Finally, we have another interesting twist to the idea that Jesus was married. He wasn't not only married, he was in all probability a polygamist. Evidence for this is found in his own teaching of the ten virgins. Remember, in Matthew 25, there are ten virgins coming to the wedding ceremony, and there is only how many bridegrooms? One. Huh? Uh-huh. Based on these oh-so-logical evidences, I think we can safely assume that Jesus was both married and a... Do you see how, how bad it can go? Do you see how you can take anything you want, and if you... You just start talking about it and spinning it. It can be twisted and used, and you can prove something as ridiculous as that. Summarize without the facts, hypothecate without, uh, with just a few sayings, and you can come up with a whole doctrine. Now, let me try to take you another way, okay? Could it be instead that Mary Magdalene was probably one of the most grateful people to the Lord, and therefore the most distraught over his death and absence, that she was there up at the earliest of the day, probably for three days straight, wandering around in hope and despair, maybe faithfully waiting for him to rise? Could it be that he had changed her life so much forever, casting out seven devils that had inhibited, inhabited her body, that she knew he was going to return? Uh, could it have been that she possessed more faith than even the apostles, that she trusted in his promises and longed for his presence more than anyone else? Could it be that I simply made all this junk up this morning over a breakfast burrito, you know, uh, this first couple, last couple garbage that I made up, uh, you know, tying Eve to Mary Magdalene? And do you realize that Jewish law, when it's, it says actually in the Shulchan Orkra OH581, colon one, that only one who is married may lead the congregation in worship, talking about a rabbi, but that the title of this rabbi is the Hazen Shalia Tisber. And that title may not be the kind of non-married rabbi whose only function it is to teach. There's two types, one who had to be married, one whose sole function was to teach and didn't have to be. Anyone can take the Bible and by using their own imagination and their ability to influence others and implement partial truths, give meaning where there is none. Anyone, including Joseph Smith. May God forgive me for this example. And with that, let's have a prayer. God, we uh, come to you. We thank you, praise you, and ask for you in our lives. I need you especially tonight as I've been in a bad mood today and I don't feel so prepared, so I just pray, Lord, that you'll be with me as I talk. And be with our volunteer staff, our studio audience here, and, and, uh, and wherever people may watch. Be with all those who volunteer their time and who are the technical difficulties, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
In one of the most insightful books on Mormonism, in my opinion, LDS author Grant Palmer points out that one of the things Joseph Smith did in presenting his version of the gospel was to sort of outdo other faiths in areas of miracles and miraculousness. Like in the Book of Mormon, the miracles were far more impressive and hyperbolic than those found in the Bible. I would suggest that Joseph Smith uh, applied this game of religious one-upsmanship to a number of things LDS. Think about it. In Mormonism, Joseph supplied answers or certainty to things like where everybody came from. He called it a pre-mortal existence. And he answered where the faithful, what the faithful are going to be doing when they die. They're going to become gods. And he gave a name to the planet closest to God. He called it Kolob. And even through his supposed gift of seership, when he came upon a pile of bones found out in the, in the forest, uh, he said it belonged to a great Lamanite warrior named Zelf. Zelf, for goodness sakes. Well, having the inside story on almost every biblical mystery you can imagine, Mormonism doesn't hold back in providing information on almost every subject, including the person Cain, and that is who we will be discussing tonight. Let's go to the primary Christian text, the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, and read about Cain quickly. Verse 1, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, he was the oldest son, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Verse 2, And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now I won't go into it, but it seems that Cain and Abel, according to the Hebrew, were probably twins. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep. And you notice that it mentions him first, probably on account that he was a keeper of the sheep and on account of his spiritual uh, acumen relative to Cain, who probably didn't have much. So even though Cain was the firstborn, Abel is mentioned first in terms of occupation. Verse 3, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. In process of time, they believe, means on the Sabbath day. On the Saturday of the week, Cain brought forth this offering. Now, we don't know what Cain's heart was here, but we do know that he brought an offering. Verse 4, And Abel, he also brought of the first things, firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now, it is believed, again, because of the Hebrew text here, that the Lord's approval of Abel's offering was shown by it, by it being consumed by fire. The Hebrew text kind of alludes to that God showed his approbation for Abel's offering of the animal to consume it with fire. Verse 5, But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. In other words, why are you angry, Cain? You act as if you were treated unfairly. Verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is thy brother Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10, And he said, Why hast, What hast thou done? 
Thy voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. That was the curse. So Cain became a fugitive and labor would be difficult. He was condemned to perpetual exile and he became an outcast. Verse 13, and Cain said unto the Lord, <clears throat> my punishment is greater than I can bear. Cain was upset with the punishment, but it doesn't seem he was too upset by his sin. Anyway, he articulates his case to God. Verse 14, Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that finds me shall slay me. Now remember, this is only a story about the earth's first murderer. It tells us all we need to know, and it reveals the fears Cain has for being cast out and being found guilty of the murder, which, uh, and so he says, everybody who sees me now is going to want to slay me for the thing that I have done. And it shows that the population of the area must have been somewhat have, have grown for him to have even said that. Verse 15, and the Lord said unto him, therefore, the Lord said this, listen, whosoever slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Now, hear this clearly. By a very generous, special act of divine forbearance, love even, and mercy, the life of Cain was to be spared in the then small state of the human race. God did not say, you killed your brother, everybody kill Cain. Cain said, everyone's going to want to kill me now for this. And God said, I'm going to give you a mark so that they won't hurt you, so that you will not be slayed. God said, if you slay Cain, you will experience a sevenfold condemnation. And then he tells us that the Lord set a mark upon Cain. This does not mean it was any visible mark or brand on his darn forehead or black skin, for goodness sakes, but it was a sign or a token of assurance from a loving God that his life would be spared. It may be that God only gave him some sign or mark between them that would assure him that he wouldn't be slain. What we do know is God did not believe it was necessary to tell Moses what the mark was. If it was so important that it was going to be the beginning of a certain race, I am certain Moses would have said, and the mark that God placed upon the dreaded Cain as an act of, of a curse was a black skin, which now has been passed down onto many of the generations. No, we hear nothing of the sort. And so in the normal context of the story, Cain leaves Eden, uh, Eden severed from his relatives, and in all probability, uh, cast off from his relationship with God. Verse 17, final verse, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So Cain had a wife, sons, and actually industry. Life must have been hard, but still he was able to build a city, it says. And it seems from scripture that his posterity distinguished themselves in the arts from that point forward. We also know from scripture that polygamy was first introduced by Cain's son, Lamech. Okay, and then 
Finally, Cain's descendants in the Bible are listed out to the sixth generation. And then, like many people groups whose seed was corrupted, they disappear. We don't hear any more from them. With the exception of a few references to Cain in the New Testament, the Bible says very little about the man. I mean, he is part of a story of the first murder and the punishment that follows. For what, <clears throat> for what purpose more do we need information to speculate on this minor verse in scripture about an entire race being cursed with a black skin and uh, what it is is it's myth making and it's making uh, scriptural mountains out of molehills. Enter Joseph Smith Jr. who as he did in the case of Kolob, Zelf and Mahanrai, Moriankamer and a host of other imaginative exaggerations made up a very insensitive and destructive myth surrounding Cain. Most of this information can be seen firsthand in Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible known as the Inspired Version. Now, I have my, an Inspired Version. I brought it from my house, and this is how it works. Over here, you have Joseph Smith's version of what the Bible should say. This is Genesis chapter 1. And over here, you have what the Bible actually says, the King James Version. So you can see right here on this very first page that Joseph Smith added a few verses before the account really begins in, and then there's a verse missing here, and Joseph Smith added here. Well, let me turn to you, and I want to show you chapter 4 of Genesis, where the account of Cain goes on, all right? So here's chapter 4, and it begins right here, and we can see um, that this is, all, this is all about Cain, these, these sides, all about Cain, all about Cain. Oh, wait, we're not done. More about Cain. More about Cain. We're not done. More about Cain. All about Cain that Joseph included so that we can have the inside story about what was going on with that. Now, these extra verses with Joseph produced straight out of his head. He had just said, okay, say this. Tell us that Cain, son of Adam and Eve, came under the influence of Satan. And Joseph said in scripture that Cain loved Satan more than God. This is in Moses 5.18. And that he hereafter became the father of secret societies throughout the land and throughout the earth. Now, it's really important to understand what Joseph Smith was doing here. Masonry was very popular at the time Joseph Smith was alive in early America. And it had a negative connotation because masonry kind of in general committed a murder. And so people turned against their secret society, their secret temples and their secret oaths. Later on, Joseph Smith embraced much of masonry and put it in temples. But early on, he was against their secret combinations, he called it. And the Book of Mormon has a subtext throughout that's all about um, these secret combinations, the Gadianton robbers and secret combinations. And it's all about these secret societies and it's based off the model of masonry. Well, when it comes to talking about Cain in Genesis, Joseph Smith includes Masonic stuff, tying it to Cain all the way back to Moses' account of Genesis. The guy had absolutely no, he had a bunch of chutzpah. I don't know what he had none of. I mean, he just was not afraid at all to do and implement anything he thought would, would fit. 
Okay, and we know that uh, Joseph Smith, that, that Joseph Smith also says in this account that it was Satan who told Cain to present the offering. And when Cain saw that God didn't accept it, Satan was very, very happy about it. And, it because, and then it also goes on to tell Cain that because he has a physical body, he was going to rule over Satan in time because Satan never got a physical body and that placed Cain as the master Mahan. That is a direct tie to masonry that Joseph Smith said is included in the book of Genesis going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Uh, it's unbelievable what he says. So even in the Book of Mormon, these, secret, these themes of secret combinations is frequent and reoccurring. And... Um, but all the scathing and mythical blame for all these evil secret combinations, which Joseph says started with Cain and now has gone down through the governments of this world. It's all from Satan and his ways. Um, the LDS also laid on Cain uh, the black skin that uh, Joseph said was the mark God placed upon him as a curse for his rebellion. And this black skin is what black people today, African-Americans, bear as Cain's descendants, okay? Again, another example of Joseph Smith producing a myth to try to explain everything. You know, God is pretty straightforward in his love and in his beauty and in his ability to create very vast and different things. To him, black is beautiful. Brown and red and white and gray and all the colors that we come in as human beings is beautiful. These attributes God gave cannot be altered any more than a zebra's stripes are going to fall off because it was a naughty zebra. Okay? Listen to what God says in Jeremiah 13, 23. Remember this. God asked this question rhetorically. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopards his spots? That verse right then and there tells you that God says, I did these things. A leopard isn't going to change his spots. The Ethiopian isn't going to change his skin. Come on. This simple, beautiful, open way of God is right there in Scripture. Black skin came to be the result of God and His creative providence. But needing to answer everything under the sun to be the sole authority on everything out there, Joseph was willing to speak for God, call it Scripture, and sway millions towards some very ugly thoughts. Now, we're not going to talk about racism tonight. We're going to get there when we get to the R's. But let me conclude with a few statements that have come by the LDS leadership as a result of Joseph Smith adding to the Bible, his inspired version, all those words about what that mark was, that beautiful mark actually, that God gave Cain as a favor. Listen to what the LDS leaders have said. Joseph Fielding Smith, quote, not only was Cain called upon to suffer, but because of his wickedness, he became the father of an inferior race. That's in Way to Perfection, page 101. Brigham Young in his journal Discourses said, quote, Some classes of the human family are black, uncouth, uncomely, disagreeable, and low in their habits, wild and seemingly deprived of nearly all the blessings of the intelligence that is generally bestowed upon mankind. And then connected them to Cain, and, and then he connected them to Cain and Joseph's scriptures surrounding the teachings about Cain by saying, The Lord put a mark upon him, the black man, which is the flat nose and black skin. End quote. LDS Apostle, Apostle 
Marky Peterson said in all seriousness from a pulpit at BYU when I was a youth, so I learned this stuff too, quote, think of the Negro, cursed as to the priesthood. This Negro who in the preexistence lived the type of life which justified the Lord in sending him to earth in the lineage of Cain with a black skin and possibly being born in darkest of Africa, if that Negro is willing when he hears the gospel to accept it, he may have many of the blessings of the gospel in spite of all he did in the preexistent life. The Lord is willing if the Negro accepts the gospel with real sincere faith and is really converted to give him the blessings of baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost. If that Negro is faithful in all his ways, he can and will enter the celestial kingdom. He will go there as a servant, but he will get celestial glory. All because a man thought he had the right to change, alter, and add to the word of God. Cain was a murderer. He was cursed for it. That was it. Don't believe the LDS views on Cain and Kolob and the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrine and Covenants or Zelf. And with that, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First-time callers, if possible, LDS callers, please, please turn down your television sets while the operators are clearing your calls. We're going to pay some bills. You know, deep in the Himalayas, I heard, from the National Geographical Society of the World magazine, Incorporated, they found a man who was 160 years of age wandering about and they got him and he couldn't speak the language and they tried to say, oh, what's the secret to your age? And everybody revered him and they got him into a hut and they talked to him, tell us, what's the secret of your age? And you know what he did? He reached into his little torn shredded pocket of loincloth and he pulled out green THP. <laughs> He smiled a great smile, danced a little Himalayan jig, and ran off into the country, probably still living today. Green THP, it adds longevity, great virile propensities to the human body. And it's also available through uh, uh, Dave. Idaho Falls, Grand Tetons, Grand Tetons, Grand Tetons Mall. Now listen, the phone number's up there. This is where you want to get it. It's available all over, but you want to get it from this phone or from the Grand Tetons Mall. This is why. Dave prays over this stuff before he sends it out to you. Oh, so I'm just kidding you. I'm just totally kidding you. But it, no, it really does need to come from Dave because he's a great guy and uh, we want his green tea business to take off. So anyway, there's the green tea. When we come back, we are going to talk to... Sean from Springville, Bob from Orem, Brad from Ogden, and Sarah from Orem. And it looks like most of them are LDS or XLDS. See you in a minute. watching Heart of the Matter, a live weekly television program right here from the Mecca of Mormonism. We've been on the air for almost four years now. Now, we're a tax-exempt corporation, 
and we survive solely on your financial support. There are two ways that you can uh, help support this ministry financially, through the mail or through the internet. Now, some people give as they can, and everything is a great blessing to us. We are so grateful for the support people have given over the years. We also invite anyone inclined to join with us in this fruitful ministry by becoming a partner. And this simply means you're in a position to contribute a certain amount annually, which greatly helps us with our planning. Be our friend, become our partner, but we do need your support if you're so inclined of the Lord and you have already given to the church. For more information, call 888-868-HOTM or 888-868-4686. Write to us at 314 South Redwood Road, Salt Lake City, 84104, or get on the internet, www.hotm.tv, for more information. God bless you all. We're back, and we are going to go to the phone calls. We have Bob in Orem. He's a first-time caller. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Hey, Bob. Doing well. How are you? I'm oh, doing okay. You're on the air. All right. Yeah, I just wanted to call and tell you that I uh, caught your show a couple months ago, flipping through the channels, and uh, when I come across it, I just couldn't believe that I was seeing what I was seeing, being broadcasted in the Zion Curtain. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yes, it is. I enjoy watching you. Thanks so much, Bob. Any okay. comment or question? <clears throat> uh, not really. Just uh, not LDS myself, but I've lived around them all my life, and as I've gotten older here, I, you know, I do think that uh, there's a lot of good people in the church. Yes, there are. Certainly are. Well, I appreciate you watching, my friend. Keep tuning in. Okay, take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. I have a good friend, Bryant, out in Wellsville, and he was really hurt by the fact that I, I talked about engineers and their pocket protectors. So he actually provided me with a pocket protector, which I'm going to always wear, and I'm going to keep my green THP in that and uh, just go forward from there. We're going to Sean in Springville, Utah. Sean, you're on Hot of the Matter. Hey, how's it going? Doing well. How you doing? I'm pretty good. Excellent. What's going on, man? Nothing much. Um, I was just wondering if you could uh, explain the Trinity to me. Yeah, it's a uh, couple things, Sean. Is it Sean? Yeah. First of all, uh, I am a finite being. I am really finite. Uh, and my brain can't even do higher math. So it's going to be very difficult for me to explain an incomprehensible, always existed, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. Now, it would be okay. very convenient for me to make him anthropomorphically sound. That means make him a man, give him hands uh -huh. and, and eyes and a penis, right? Right. But I'm not going to do that because we know from Scripture that Jesus says God is a spirit and we must worship him in spirit. We also know from Scripture that Jesus took on a body and he embodied the fullness of the Godhead. We know that from Scripture. So we also know that Jesus said, I'm going to leave and the Holy Spirit will come. So we have a little bit of a mystery when it comes to God. In fact, we have a huge mystery. But we do know this. All the attributes of God are given to both Christ, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. 
we know that scripture is emphatic that there is only one God. We know that Jesus did not hesitate in people calling him God. So when people say, well, who was he praying to when he was in the garden or when he was on the cross? He was praying to his father because it is three persons, one God. How that yeah. works actually, I don't know. I will show you the old Venn diagram. And you can see, I'm going to hold this up. I've shown this before. If we come in close on this, it says, um, this one up here says, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The three God Jehovah. And so it kind of gives you an explanation of how they're three parts, but they're in one diagram, heavenly three in one. It's the yeah. best I can do. Does that help? So, yeah, it does. But um, I was going to ask about the in the garden. Um, but what about like the fact that uh, I think it's when Moses is on the hill or the mountain or whatever, and God says, "If anyone looks upon me, then he'll be like blinded or smitten or something like that." I'm not exactly sure on the words, but um, how, how could if they're all the same in in fact, then how could people look upon Jesus? Well, Jesus became uh, he became man, and he was created by a union between a, a human being, Mary, and the Holy Spirit. So uh, it's 100% man, 100% God. He felt and was tempted with everything we uh, feel and are tempted with, but 100% God and the ability to produce the miracles and perform, be one with the Father and overcome. So uh, we could see him because God became carnate, because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to come down. What gets really difficult is some people are so used to thinking of when they say God, they think of the Father, that they automatically don't understand who Jesus would pray to. Well, he prayed to the Father. He was in flesh. The Father was in spirit. But it's yeah. going to be really difficult to, to articulate. Now, we're going to have a lot of Christians. i got to pause here for a second, Sean. And you are going to write me and say, well, explain God this way. He's ice and he's steam and he's water. Or explain God this way. He's an egg and he's a yolk and he's the white. And all those things, these are all, but those, or I'm a father and I'm a son and I'm a brother. I'm three in yeah. one. All those things help us. But we are never going to understand the Trinitarian God in the way the scripture describes him. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, they're three, they're three different things, but they're all the same thing. I, yeah. I get it, kind of. My favorite explanation, human as it is, and it fails, but my favorite explanation is to say there's a blender in the kitchen, there's a hair dryer in the bathroom, and there's a radio in the bedroom, all three uh, uh, separate, but they are all powered by electricity, and it's the electricity that's God. That's how I like to view it. It's one electricity, it's a current, it's God. But that will fail too somehow. Yeah. And God's so, going to get very mad with me calling him a hairdryer, so. <laughs> All right, just uh, one more thing. Um, just uh, why does it say the only way to the Father is through the Son? Like, I, I know that it's probably going to be the same explanation, but that, that's, that one just kind of kind of strikes me as odd with the, like, if they're the same, then why did Jesus say that? Well, there's definitely a hierarchy in, in God. 
The Father is uh, at the top, if, you're, if you want to put it that way. And Jesus did submit his will to the Father. And you have to understand that the, Jesus becoming flesh and shedding his blood, having his blood shed, that it's through this means, his innocent blood shed, offered for us, that that is the way we go to the Father. Scripture in the Old Testament describes God as a fiery wrath. He is still a fiery wrath. He is something that human beings cannot approach just based on their own merits. So he sent his son and by faith on that shed blood, we then are reconciled to the fiery wrath because the fiery wrath poured his whole judgment and anger upon the son and the fiery wrath is appeased. Justice has been met. And by believing on his son, we as human beings are then called, we call that fiery wrath Papa. It becomes our father, literally. And that is how through Jesus, we are then reconciled to the father. Okay. Hey, man, great call. Thanks, Sean. Thanks. Okay, bye. We're going to bye. Brad, first-time caller in Ogden, Utah. Brad, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hey, Brad, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Awesome is too small a word for what you do. I really have to thank you, my brother, for being so obedient to God. Thanks, um, Brad. I myself am building a quad to be a witnessing tool, and your show has helped me huge, really big time. Thanks, man. Praise God. Yeah. It's... So um, my question is pretty pretty specific. Um, it has to do with polygamy. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, you know, is there any way to prove that it's an eternal command? Because what I'm wondering is, uh, you know, when exactly did the church split? After the government crackdown? Because I'm wondering if... Uh, when witnessing the Mormons, if they're going to consider Joseph Fielding Smith, for example, just, you know, FLDS or RLDS, and, you know, uh, blow it, blow off his, the things he said, you know, mm -hmm. uh, did the church split after the FLDS, to, you know, after the government crackdown? No. And, no? No. Okay, so, like, Joseph Fielding Smith is still something that Mormons here in Salt Lake are, is going to respect then. Now, wait, are you talking about uh, Joseph Fielding Smith, or are you talking about Joseph uh, Smith's son? Well, um, you know, I'm really not exactly sure on the hierarchy oh. yet. But Joseph Fielding Smith has some huge quotes about uh, polygamy that, you know, I'm looking to use in a, in a discussion with my parents. Yeah. And him and a few others, I'm just wondering if Mormons in Salt Lake credit, you know, give them credit. Or if the crackdown uh, of the government was no. before these guys said all of that, and they're just going to say, "Oh, they're just our FLDS," you know. And no, what happened? What happened, Brad? Was uh, when Joseph Smith was uh, killed, uh, Emma, Joseph's wife, and Brigham Young did not like each other at all. So Brigham, uh, Brigham Young took the rest of the Mormons, and he came out here to Utah. And Emma and her son stayed in Nauvoo. And her sons became the leaders of the FLDS, uh, or not the fundamentals, became uh, uh, the... The RLDS? The RLDS. You're talking about the FLDS. Okay, well, and yeah, it was you know, after the governmental crackdown, yes, that the FLDS split off. Yeah. So pretty much anything uh, Brigham Young came this way, and pretty much anything RLDS went the other way. Yeah, and then the FLDS... They, uh, they went off their way when the, when the LDS here in Salt Lake uh, acquiesced to government demands and issued the manifesto in 1890 and said, look at no more polygamy. 
Yeah. So that's when all those... Very convenient. Yeah, very convenient. Yep. But they still believe you know, it. Doctor Incumbents 132 is still there. Yeah, that's, that's a fact they can't hide from, period. You know, and I've been going through that. It's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you gave them another point with that 10 virgin thing. I almost heard all the Mormons go, aha, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, really good call. That. Thanks, Brad. Absolutely. Good to talk to you. See you later. God bless. See you later. We're going to Walter in Salt Lake City. First time caller. Walter, you're on Heart of the Matter. Walter. Walter. Uh, Walter. One more try. Walter. Walter has his TV on. He doesn't realize there's a delay. He's going to realize it in about 10 seconds. And he's going to know he's lost it. We're going to go to Tim in Boise. First time caller. Tim, you're on Heart of the Matter. But remember. Yeah. Hey, you need to turn your TV down, Tim. I will. You're on the air, my friend. Hey, Sean? Yeah. This is Tim. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. About a month, month or so ago, you had a question. You said, why is the Christians the only ones that shoot their own, criticize, condemn, run down their own? You remember asking that? Yeah. It's, my opinion is not you and I, but is we want to conform them to our image, what we think they should do, they should talk, they should act, they should wear, they should walk. Yeah. We want them in our image. And I got a couple comments for you. But one is, have your people pray for my wife. She lost all of her tongue to tongue cancer, and now she's going through chemo for cancer in her lung. Oh, I'm sorry, Tim. What's her name? Sandra. All right, everybody heard that, and they will, Tim. But two comments. When God saved me, he took... I'll let you make a comment afterwards. God saved me, took me out of the gutter of life. God don't make me any better than those who remain there, because if I'm honest with myself... My failures are no different than those of the worst of sinners. Sin is sin. Yeah. So in all reality, I'm the worst sinner I know. Okay. Now, how do I view God? This is how I see God. We're walking down the path, the road together. He's got his arm around my shoulder and says, I like you. You're my friend. I know you have struggles. I know you have temptations. And there's areas in your life that aren't really right. We're going to work on these together. You're my buddy. I like you. You know what, Tim? I like you. <laughs> <laughs> Here, See, well, I'll tell you what, with this cancer, we've got a gospel track minister, ministry, and it's opened the door for us to witness to people, and she's, all she says is, God, if you get glorified and get the glory, that's all I want. She's told all of her doctors and nurses, I pray about it, I'm a Christian, I pray, and I just praise and thank God for what he's doing in my life. Sounds like you've got a wonderful wife, Tim, a wonderful ministry going out there. God bless you, my friend. You bet. Take care. Thanks. You know, we did talk about that, and it's like, it's like Christians eat their young. And I'm sorry if that's offensive to you, but it's true. And I, and I think that, uh, that Tim makes a good point. You know, we want everybody to conform to what we believe is what Christianity should be. And you know what Christianity is, is that we acquiesce our will to God's will through His Son. We believe on His Son, and we, we, we trust in Him, and we move on, you know. And it doesn't matter all these denominations. It doesn't matter exactly what Bible you use. It doesn't matter how you interpret certain things. If you got the core issues, Jesus was God. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus died, was resurrected. You know, the Bible is, uh, will lead you to everything you need to know to be saved. All these basic things, love, faith, 
those core issues, it's okay if you've got a gold tooth, shaved hair, whatever it is, all that stuff is just nothing to God who is a spirit and looks down on us. Okay, we're gonna go to Walter again and then we're gonna go to Nick in Canada. Walter, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Walter. Yes, I am fascinated by your uh, knowledge. Don't be. <laughs> well, all right, all right. Um, my question is, the law of consecration. Yeah. When was that switched to 10% uh, tithing, plus all of the other, you know, you got to pay this, you got to pay that, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, the c consecration happened through two kind of waves. The first was Joseph Smith's attempt at it, and that failed miserably, even with a bank okay. failure. And then Brigham essentially established the same type of thing, but with a little bit better window dressing, so people really couldn't tell that it was going on. But it was pretty much the law of consecration, too. It was after Brigham Young died, Lorenzo Snow, uh, the church went to near bankruptcy, and he got a revelation while in St. George of, hey, man, we need to institute the law of tithing. And so okay. it was at that point, and I couldn't tell you the date, but it was at that point that tithing was brought in. Okay. And you know what's okay. interesting about that, yeah. Walter, is for our viewers, is that the Bible in the New Testament does not talk about tithing except Jesus talking to the Jews about they tithe uh, 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 a certain amount. It has nothing to do with commandments. Tithing is not mentioned in terms of the New Testament economy at all. All it says about giving in the New Testament is, man, if you're going to give, be a cheerful giver. It's a hilarious giver in the Greek. That's all it says. So that law of tithing is a misappropriation of an Old Testament term, and it's used by the LDS very strongly and, uh, to get them to go into the temples. And, but worse, it's used in Christian churches too. And they use that term, they borrow it from the Old Testament, and really knowledgeable Christian pastors will use tithing for giving, which means 10%, and it's totally not biblical when they do. Okay, well, all right. Hey, thanks. Hey, one one. Comments? Yeah. If I can, it's totally off the subject, just something different. Yeah. I was three years old when I was, you know, sealed to my parents. Uh-huh. Ish. And we were waiting in the um, uh, nursery downstairs. Yeah. At the temple. And while we were waiting, we were watching uh, Frankenstein, the movie. <laughs> oh, my God. You never forget that one, will you? Oh, <laughs> that is oh. a great story. You ought to submit it yeah. to the ensign and see what they like it. <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you. Hey, thanks, Walter. All right. Bye-bye. They don't do that anymore. They only show three stooges down there now. <laughs> All right. We're going. Now, you know, this is just joking. You know I'm joking. I was LDS 40. I can joke with you that way. Don't get all mad and send mean emails. Let's go to Nick in Canada. Nick, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, son. How you doing, man? How you doing? Good. I uh, just wanted to tell you, I kind of discovered your show a little bit by accident. Um, just kind of doing a, a quick background. I was raised Catholic, actually, um, but my mom and dad always stressed that it didn't matter what the, the sign on the church said. It just matters who's on the cross and, and that we accept his sacrifice. And so there was wow. never any of the, the, uh, the sacramental um, parts. I mean, I have all my Catholic sacraments, but they said this was just outward signs and that type of thing. Huh. Um, Fast forward to the time that I was about 16, um, very depressed and, and um, kind of suicidal, and, and I stood in my kitchen looking at knives, and I, 
I said, God, if, if, you're, if you exist, if you're around, I need you now, and I need you to, to take over my life. Um, I need you to come and show me that you're there. Um, and it was a life-changing event for me. Um, but um, as you know, uh, as a man of uh, flesh, um, it's very easy to fall into old ways. And so, um, you know, even though I was spiritually reborn at that point, I had a lot of problems. Um, it was a long journey. Um, and about a year and a half ago or so, I was really um, sort of falling back into the old Catholic way of thinking and, you know, trying to earn my salvation and, and um, that type of thing. And uh, was just kind of casually downloading some videos off YouTube um, one night. And uh, on my computer screen, by accident, pops this long-haired, uh, beefy guy, doesn't uh, button up his shirt, and he spoke of um, being a bad man, being a terrible, terrible person, and that there's nothing we can do to earn salvation but accept Christ. And that, those words were so powerful, I just knew that God was, trying to reach me and realize that it's okay, I've already asked Christ into my life and that he's there and he's going to take over and he'll continue to take over and as long as I allow him to be there, he's, he's going to save me. And I mean, just watching your shows and sort of watching the streaming broadcasts and that type of thing, you're, you're just, I know very little about Mormonism and it's... It's something that it seems similar to a lot of ways in, in a lot of my Catholic friends that I have, but it's just the Christian side of you. Um, the, the, you're just, God speaks through you. And I want you to know that no matter how grouchy you are or, or what kind of a bad day you have had, just to, to keep at it because you never know when someone's going to accidentally download a video that just refocuses their life again. Nick. Uh, I just want to thank you for that. So praise God. Praise Nick. God. Nick, I, uh, I am really grateful that you uh, shared that uh, with, with us tonight because, uh, you know, I, I say this and people don't believe it, but I really am uh, a jackass. And, it, it, and God can use a jackass. He can use everybody. And so I'm so grateful because, you know, today's been a day and a half, and uh, I've had to look at myself. And just to hear you say that means so much to me personally as well as to the ministry. So thank you so much, my friend. I look forward to meeting you someday. Absolutely, Sean. I know that, that we will someday. And uh, jackasses or not, we'll be together. Thanks, Nick. God bless. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. What a great call. Guy, that makes everything worth it, doesn't it? Let's go to, uh, uh, I have another James in Canada, but I'm going to go Bernadette in Salt Lake City. Bernadette, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hi. Hello, Bernadette. Hi, is this Sean? This is. Oh, hey, Sean. I have a quick question. My son is LDS, married into the LDS. He was raised Catholic. He is uh, half Hispanic, and uh, he married a white girl. Anyway, so that created three adorable uh, brown-skinned kids. How are they? How do you think they are treated in the uh, LDS community? I mean, they go to church every Sunday. I'm, are they considered? children of Cain or, no. you know, that's always been my concern. And another question is, uh, when it comes to tithing, do they have to pay the tithing? Uh, is it mandatory or uh, if, if they don't pay their tithing, is like, are they uh, not accepted by the church? 
those are my questions. Oh, good questions. Uh, Bernadette, first question is, they are not considered, your, your grandchildren uh, are not considered from uh, Cain, the seed of Cain. That's just the black race that they've considered that. But they are considered Lamanites, uh, uh -huh. uh, which comes from the Book of Mormon. And, uh, but they're going to be viewed in a much uh, better sense than uh, black people used to be and still in many ways still are. So I don't think your grandchildren are going to have that, that problem too much. Uh, unless they meet uh, an idiot, and we can meet idiots anywhere, can't we? Uh, yeah, in terms of the tithing, what they do is they have a, a temple recommend interview, and they ask you if you're a full tithe payer, and if you're not, that means you don't pay 10% of your income, whether it's on your gross or your net, that's kind of up to you. But if you don't do that, you can't go into the temple, and if you don't go into the temple, then you can't receive the, the endowments or the rituals that enable you to, be, to go into the highest degree of the celestial kingdom and become a god. So there is ostracization of people who aren't temple worthy. So it's not a direct you have to. You can be more in your whole life and never pay it. But bottom line, they keep a record of every dollar you pay. They always know how much you've paid and callings and, and the way you're treated in general will reflect if you've been a full tithe payer or not. Okay. Does that help? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. I love your program. Thanks so much. God bless. All right, dear. God bless you, too. Bye-bye. We're going to James in Canada. James, we only have a minute. You're on the air, my friend. Hey, how's it going? Going well. How are you? I'm pretty good. I sent you an email the other day, and I just, uh, well, I just wanted to talk to you. First of all, I just wanted to say quickly that um, I have been talked to by Mormons so many times that, uh, I was really appreciative to hear the show. I was doing some research because a friend and I were meeting with them, not to, uh, just for curiosity's sake. And, um, yeah, it's been really cool to just uh, to hear about the background of it from you. And it's really helped me in my faith a lot. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Thanks, James. Yeah, no problem. And the thing that I wanted to say, the comment that I wanted to make, was that um, I was working with my friend, uh, with Ryan, uh, my friend Ryan, and... You and I were, were having a conversation, and he said, I just don't understand how God can have a conversa have an intimate relationship with every single person on the earth. And I just wanted to say that what my response to that was was very simple. Just don't take God's infinity away from him. That's a good comment. Really good. It's faith-promoting, and I think you're describing the God I believe in. Mm, me too, absolutely. Thanks, James. God bless you. Okay, bye-bye. Quickly, we're going to Lori in Atlanta. I'm sorry, Lori, we, you've got about 40 seconds. 40 seconds to say um, I'm born again. Hallelujah. Praise, <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise God. <laughs> yes, and um, the way that I know that I am is because I've had spiritual experiences before in the church, but now I have discernment. I have a thirst for the Word, and um, I just look at everything differently. So... Praise well, God, and I'm so grateful for that. That is so wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. We'll keep talking, Lori. Sounds great. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. Hey, listen, join us next week. We're going to continue on with the C's. We're going to have a special uh, guest, actually, just to pop their heads in. It's going to be my oldest daughter, Mallory, and her husband. And uh, so we get to say hello to them. And then uh, we'll come back, and we're going to talk next week about what the Bible says the church is. So we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Thank mm -hmm. you.
gonna break. I'm gonna break my. I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. Gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. Gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. Gonna break my rusty cage.